Well, this morning we continue our series uh, titled Adventures with Abraham as we look at the life of Abraham. And uh, last week we were in Genesis chapter 12. We will also be there today. But we looked at the call of God that came upon Abraham's life to leave his country, to leave his relatives, his family, leave his home. And to go to a place that God would show him. And he had, he, he was very comfortable in a place called Ur. And, uh, he was called to leave Ur and go to a place that God would show him. In fact, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 says it this way. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. How many of you have ever found yourself that place in life? You, you didn't know where you were going. You were totally lost. How many men admit it? He didn't know where he was going. He was just being led step by step, mile by mile by the Lord. A trip that would end up being 1,500 miles. I want you to get a hold of that. 1,500 miles from Ur to the promised land of Canaan. Now, it was divided up a little bit. He went from Ur to Haran. That was about 800 miles. And they stayed there for about 15 years. And then he went from Haran to the promised land of Canaan. That was another 700 As we pick up the story this morning, Abraham is in the promised land of Canaan. He has arrived. Look at uh, verse 10 of Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. And Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Even though God had promised to bless Abraham and his family, that did not mean that God would not test his faith. And as someone has said, and I love this saying, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. I like that. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. And in this crisis situation of of Abraham and Sarah being basically kindergartners in the school of faith, they're novices. I think sometimes we forget this. They're, they're, They're new at this. And taking that trip from Ur to Haran and then from Haran to the promised land. And when they arrive in Canaan, What's waiting for them? A famine. Wow. The journey of faith is never an easy journey. In fact, sometimes it can be extremely tough, the journey of faith. It's uncertain as to whether at this time in Abraham and Sarah's life they had ever experienced a famine before. 
They probably didn't experience one when they were in Ur because Ur was located near the Euphrates River, a very fertile area. It's, it's uncertain as to whether they had ever experienced a famine before when they were in Haran because Haran was a, a very prosperous and productive city on its, in its own merit. But when they get to the promised land, they experience a famine. My title this morning is even strange. Famine in the promised land. The promised land that throughout the Old Testament was known as the land flowing with milk and honey. That's the way it was described. Famine in the promised land. You've made a 1,500 mile trip leaving comfort and security and you get to this place where you can't even find food to feed your family. And God said He was going to bless you. And you're experiencing famine? Really? first thing I want you to notice this morning is the famine in the land. The famine in the land. I wonder what Abraham's thinking at this point. Lord, you, you promised that you were going to bless me. I've, I've followed you. I've listened to your voice. I've, I've gone where you told me to go. And now it doesn't seem like I'm being blessed anymore. I wonder what the people that were traveling with Abraham, I, I wonder how many complaints he had to listen to about, really? You, you took us from Ur to this? We had plenty of food in Ur. Now, famine, famine. And so Abraham panics. And decides that he needs to do something drastic. At the beginning of chapter 12, you see Abraham setting up altars and worshiping God. At the beginning of the chapter, you see God appearing to Abraham and speaking to him. You see Abraham in that strong relationship with the Lord. But in chapter 12, what we're looking at this morning, you don't see any of that. Because at this point in Abraham's life, his faith has faltered and failed. And now, he is not consulting God in the midst of a crisis at all. He is on his own. Making it up as he goes along. How many of you can relate to that in your own life? In a crisis situation. That's where he's at. And so he heads to Egypt. He is now taking another 200 mile trip. He has traveled 1700 miles from where he started out. And he goes to Egypt. Now, why would he want to go to Egypt? Primarily because he knew that there would not be famine, there would not be drought in Egypt because of the Nile River. And they irrigated off of the Nile River. There was vegetation. There was all kinds of tremendous crops there. 
And everyone knew if you needed food in the midst of a famine, go to Egypt. That's exactly what Abraham set out to do. But I think James Montgomery Boyce says it best. He says, it sometimes takes more grace to stay in Canaan than to get there. It was a 1,500-mile trip to get there, but sometimes it takes more grace to stay where you're supposed to stay. We, have, we do not read in chapter 12, verses 10 through 20, that God told Abraham to go to Egypt. How many of you know that God could have provided for Abraham and his family in Canaan? God had a pretty good record of providing for people in the desert. You know, we have manna and... We have uh, water from rocks and all this stuff that, that happened a little later. But God had a pretty good tra- has a pretty good track record on providing for people in a desert situation. The famine in the land. With each main point this morning, I'm going to give you a principle that I think is very, very important as we study this story. First principle is we will face periodic crises in our Christian lives even when we are following God completely. You know... I can't tell you how many people have come up to me. They've been new Christians. They've given their life to Christ. And all of a sudden, all kinds of bad stuff starts happening to them. And they will say, Pastor Dave, I'm trying to do everything God tells me to do. I'm trying to obey him. I'm, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, I'm going to church, I'm putting money in the offering plate. I'm doing everything that I think I need to do. And I've never gone through so much bad luck as what I'm going through now. And I tell them the same thing. Welcome to the battle. As long as the devil had you on his team, he wasn't going to mess with you. But you've changed uniforms now. Welcome to the battle. You see, I don't stand up here as some would, as some preachers would today, and tell you all this great health and wealth gospel stuff and all the prosperity gospel and all that stuff. I don't preach that stuff because it's not biblical. And I can be honest with you, it's not what's always happened in my life. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, when you decide that you're going to walk that journey of faith No matter what comes along, you're going to obey God. You're going to listen and watch for His guidance and His wisdom. When you start walking that road, I will tell you straight up, you're walking into some difficult times and some tough stuff's going to come your way. Why? James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of your faith is what develops perseverance. The best way that God's children can grow is not from comfort and ease. The best way for God's children to grow is through trials, as tough as they are, and as hard as they are to go through. That's where the growth comes from in the Christian life. And Abraham is finding that out the hard way. Find out the hard way. Not only was there a famine in the land, if you look at chapter 12, verse 6, at the end of that verse, it says, at that time the Canaanites were in the land. You see, there's all kinds of tough stuff ahead for Abraham. You've got famine 
And now you've got foes. The Canaanites, pagan idolaters. That The history of Israel is that they were constantly fighting the Canaanites. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that the Canaanites are in Canaan. That shouldn't surprise us. Wouldn't you expect to find the Canaanites there? And part of taking over the promised land was all these skirmishes and these battles with these Canaanites to drive them out. It's almost a footnote. And the Canaanites were in the land. Famine was in the land. He is not going in to a perfect, comfortable situation here. It's not what he's facing. And so he decides he's going to Egypt. By the way, this is the first mention of Egypt in the Bible. And it says in verse 11 through 16, the second thing I want you to notice is not only the famine in the land, but in verses 11 through 16, I want you to notice the falsehood in the story. The falsehood in the story. He's going to Egypt, but he, he's got a whole chain reaction of problems as he goes. Verse 11 says, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Now that is very strange. But it was not unusual in the Egyptian culture for that to happen. If a man had a beautiful wife, there are numerous occasions, I, I studied this week, there are numerous occasions where that husband was killed, the wife was taken then to Pharaoh's harem. Husband was just totally taken out of the picture. So what Abraham fears here is basically fact. This has happened before. And he thinks, boy, my wife Sarah, even though she's 65 years of age at this point, she is a knockout. And he's scared. What are the Egyptians going to do with Sarah? Verse 13. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. This lie that they told here. It is also repeated in Genesis chapter 20. They do this very same thing again. Okay. Abraham and Sarah. Abimelech sees Sarah. And he desires her. This was not just the husband saying, oh, you're a beautiful woman. No, this is every man that sees her says, wow. And so in chapter 20, you have the same situation, but there's an explanation that comes in, in in Genesis chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. And it says that Abraham and Sarah, they had the same father, but they had different mothers. When Abraham said, Sarah is my sister, he was telling a half truth, which is a whole lie. What, what makes a half-truth a whole lie? 
when it is told to deceive. That's what makes it a lie. And Abraham and Sarah are trying to deceive Pharaoh. That's what makes it a lie. The intent. The motive behind it. Does it seem strange to you that at this point in Abraham's life, and we know him as the father of of the faith, but at this point in his life, he cannot trust God for his wife, and he cannot trust God for his own life. Faith is living without scheming. Let me say that again. Faith is living without scheming. They are scheming here. Trying to pull one over the eyes of Pharaoh. His deception caused a compromise of Sarah's purity all for the purpose of saving Abraham's neck. This is not one of Abraham's finest hours, folks. What he has basically done is consented at this point for Sarah to join Pharaoh's harem. What do you do in the Christian life when a person's faith falters? What do you do when a person's faith just totally fails in a moment of crisis? That's what this story is about. And yet some of you in your own lives may be facing times of crisis right now. And your faith is being severely tested. You may be wondering if you can just hold on for any longer. You might be wondering, do I really have the faith? Do I really have the strength to get through this crisis experience? It could be it could be financial. It could be physical. It could be a marriage situation. Family situation. And you're like Abraham. What am I going to do with this crisis? What am I going to do with it? Principle number two. When we face crises, we will always be tempted to go to extremes in solving our problems. That's what they're doing here. They're going to extremes to solve this problem. Look at verse 14. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abraham well for her sake and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants and camels. Why did Pharaoh give Abraham all these possessions? 
Watch, watch very carefully to what I'm about to say in just a minute. At this point, Sarah becomes Pharaoh's wife. These possessions paid to Abraham were the dowry that Pharaoh paid to her brother for marrying her. Abraham is getting in very, very deep. Abraham at this point, can you imagine what would be going through his mind? What have I done to my wife? I've given her to another man to save my neck. The falsehood in the story. But I want you to hear something this morning that's the most important part of this story. And I don't want you to miss it. This, to me, was so encouraging to me this past week as I, as I was reading this and studying this. I'm glad that the story doesn't just end with a famine in the land and falsehood in the story. The story ends with faithfulness, the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of the Lord. That's the third thing I want you to see in verses uh, 17 and 18. Excuse me. Yes, verses 17 and 18. The faithfulness of the Lord. What's one of my favorite words in the Bible? Why, why do I like the word but so much in the Bible? I've taught this so much. It means that basically everything that's going on before that word but is about ready to change. And it does. I want to say this with me. Verse 17. You see, look at verse 17. But the Lord. Say that with me. But the Lord. But the Lord. The Lord is coming on the scene to rescue Abraham and Sarah. He knows they've gotten in so deep, they're not going to get out of this on their own. But the Lord. He has seen this whole thing. He inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. We don't know what those diseases were. Those of you in the medical field are probably scratching your head and trying to figure out what it could be. We don't know. The Lord inflicted diseases on Pharaoh and his household. Some would say, well, why didn't he inflict it on Abraham? He deserved it. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Abraham is caught red-handed. Whatever this disease was that came on Pharaoh and his household, they realized this is because of Abraham and Sarah. They traced it back to them. I remember the story about four high school students. They had decided that 
They were going to skip their morning classes. Um, They were at that point where they were suffering from spring fever. And uh, they just wanted to skip their morning classes. So that's what they did. Then the four of them decided that they were going to come to school in the afternoon just after lunch. And they showed up in one of their classes and teacher looked at them and said, where have you been? Well, we had a flat tire. Had a flat tire. She said, well, you realize you missed a test. Oh, we did? Yeah, you missed a test. Well, sit down at this desk and I will give you the test. Take out your pen, your paper. Here's your test. And she was smiling. Her first question, which tire went flat? Busted. Busted. Just like Abraham. And God used a pagan leader to set Abraham back on the right track. Verse 19. Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her, what? To be my wife. Maybe you've never noticed that before. Why'd you lie to me? I've taken your... I've taken Sarah to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Isn't that interesting? She's not really my wife. She's your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Principle number three. God's faithfulness and patience continues in our lives no matter what our decisions. I want you to... The temptation would have been for God to have given up on Abraham and Sarah. Because at this point, basically, that's what they had done to him. They'd given up on him. We're going to live our life our own way. We're going to lean on our own understanding. But the faithfulness of God was there all the time they were making all their bad decisions. The faithfulness of God was there. Does that speak to anybody? When you've messed it up so bad in your own life, When you know that you're going to reap what you've sowed, I mean, that's just biblical. It's going to happen. But God says, I'm not giving up on you. I know you failed, but your failure is not fatal if you seek my forgiveness. But the Lord, but the Lord. I love those three words. But the Lord, but the Lord. Warren Wiersbe makes a very interesting point. 
You think of all that stuff in verse 16 that Pharaoh gave to Abraham. Sheep, cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants, maid servants, camels. Warren Wiersbe says this, Everything Abraham gained in Egypt cost him later. Because of their great wealth, Abraham and Lot had to separate when they got back to Canaan. And part of that wealth was what Pharaoh had given Abraham here. We'll talk about this in two weeks uh, when I preach a message. Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. Abraham and Lot. The wealth he gained caused Lot to desire the riches of Sodom. Among the servants was a young girl named Hagar who would be the source of much heartache and pain. There are no benefits from disobedience. Say it with me again. But the Lord. I can think of situations in my own life where it was, this is what I was doing, but the Lord. But the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 has a great verse. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, He will remain faithful. For He cannot disown Himself. God is always true to Himself. He always is. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. For He cannot disown Himself. You know, I say this in closing. We're going to look at a lot of times in the book of Genesis as we go through these adventures with Abraham. We're going to look at a lot of times where Abraham got it right. We're going to see his faith growing and maturing. We're going to see it. Faith is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. And we're going to, we're going to see that in Abraham as we walk through uh, chapters 12 through 25. But there were times where he had feet of clay. There were times where his faith failed and faltered. There are times where he did not behave like a hero, especially not faith's hero. Aren't you kind of glad that those things are included in here too? I can relate to the humanity of Abraham. If he was, if it was just simply all the great things he did with faith, I don't know that I could relate to him. And so we're going to continue uh, in a couple weeks to take that journey of faith, walking right along with Abraham and Sarah. They got some more stuff coming. <laughs> they got a lot of stuff coming. We're going we're gonna to see how that. You know, what is God trying to speak to us about from their life? You know, how can we use some of that in our own Christian walk? We're going to ask you to stand as uh, the worship team comes and they're going to lead us in a closing chorus, uh, the CARES chorus.